Thank you, Zach, Chad, music team. Who is this? That's the burning question that keeps coming up in Luke's Gospels. As people encounter Jesus, whether it's His declaration to forgive sins or His miraculous strength, people keep asking the question, who is this? And that that really could be the subtitle for this series as we go through the Gospel of Luke. We're, we're reading through this book so that we can answer that question, who is this Jesus? And in chapter 8, Luke answers that question by giving us uh, several miracles, a series of miracles wherein Jesus displays his power over forces that usually leave us helpless. So, for instance, just before the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus quiets a storm. He and his friends are in a boat, and uh, Jesus is asleep, and a storm comes up, and they're experienced fishermen, but the storm is too much for them to handle. The boat is about to sink. They wake Jesus up, and all he does is tell the storm to be quiet. You ever try that? My guess is you wouldn't have the same impact. Immediately the winds die down. Immediately the ocean goes calm. Later on in the chapter, we see Jesus triumphing over life-debilitating illness. A woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and she's spent her life savings on doctors who haven't been able to give her any hope. Just one touch of Jesus' cloak and she's made whole. She's healed. And in that same story... Jesus also demonstrates his power over our greatest enemy, the only one that none of us can avoid, and that is death. When he goes to the home of a girl, a little girl who's been dead, and he says, get up, honey, and she gets up. And so Luke gives us this series of miracles, and in the scene we're going to look at today, Jesus confronts another force that people are powerless to stop, and that is supernatural evil. So if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to start reading in verse 26. If you need to use the Bible that's there in the pew, please do. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that one home. We're going to be on page 865. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. And actually, I'm going to start reading in verse 25, just when uh, Jesus has quieted the storm. He said to his disciples, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? There's that question. Who is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. 
But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So, he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is God's word. And like him, it is true and it is trustworthy. And he has inspired it for our benefit. So let's pray and ask for His help. Father in heaven, certainly a scene that we are maybe accustomed to reading, but still very much outside of our normal experience. So God, I pray that You would open our eyes, that You would help us to believe spiritual things, to believe truth, to hold fast to it. God, change us from the inside out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as many of you know, we, uh, we recently visited my brother and his family in Missouri. Uh, and my children have a, a strange fascination with severe weather. Um, and one of the things that we noticed on, uh, on many of the buildings, particularly in Missouri, uh, were signs. Uh, so these are big public places. And there would be signs that told you where the severe weather shelter was. And one of the places that we visited uh, is the Gateway Arch. Uh, you may have seen pictures of it. Some of you may have been to it. Uh, this arch was built to commemorate uh, the westward expansion of the United States. And so there's this massive, beautiful arch. It's, it's amazing to behold. And underneath it, uh, kind of un- underground, the, the, the foundation of the arch is actually uh, a museum, the Lewis and Clark Museum. Uh, and so if you've, if you've never experienced the arch, it is impressive. Uh, it is a testament to what we can accomplish, to our courage, to our ingenuity, to our ability. But ironically, down in the museum, uh, down in this underground museum, there's a sign. A sign pointing the way, and it's, it's a little bit out of the way. You wouldn't see it unless you went to the restroom. There's a sign that points you to the severe weather shelter. And I found that ironic because here at the foot of this monument to human power and ambition and strength is a small little sign declaring man's weakness. A subtle reminder that there are forces far beyond our control. 
that no matter what we build and no matter how big we dream, and dreaming big and building big are good things, there are forces that we cannot touch. And when they come upon us, we can only cower from them in fear. And that's the story of this demon-possessed man. And there are three things that I want you to see as we uh, go through this story. Three things I believe Jesus shows us as he encounters this man. First, Jesus shows us his power. Second, Jesus shows us his compassion. And then finally, Jesus shows us our mission. Power, compassion, mission. Let's look at this first one. Uh, And... What I really want you to come away with here is that Jesus is stronger than all of the forces that can enslave us. All of the forces that would uh, cause us to cower in fear. Jesus is more powerful. I mean, this, this story has human weakness written all over it. The main example would be this man himself. He is possessed by many Demons. The word legion, a Roman legion, would have somewhere between 4,000 and 6,000 soldiers. Uh, it doesn't have to mean there were that many demons possessing this man. Uh, that, that force was so large, it was just a common way of saying, that's a lot. There's a whole legion, right? We still use that today. A Roman, uh, a, so a legion uh, of demons is possessing, is dominating this man's body and mind. He is dominated by evil forces that he cannot stop. Not only that, not only is he possessed, helplessly possessed by demons, but his neighbors can't help him either. Maybe in an effort to protect him from himself, or more likely in an effort to protect themselves, they would chain him up. They would shackle his feet. And the demons would give him the strength to break those chains and run off into the wilderness. And so this man's situation is absolutely desperate. There is nothing he can do to help himself. And then Jesus steps out of a boat onto his shore. And when the man sees Jesus, he falls down at his feet. Right? Uh, look at verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. Now, this is not a this is not a worshipful falling down. This man is not. Uh, these demons are not falling down to worship Jesus. This is this is utter fear. Uh, and he falls down before him, and he's shouting at him. Right? What have you to do with me? Basically, leave me alone. Go away. Don't torment me. This man is out of his mind. These demons, rather, are putting him out of his mind, shouting at Jesus. And I want you to notice, too, that Jesus is is outgunned. Jesus is outmatched. This is not one man on one demon. This is one man on a legion of demons. And so this does not look to be a fair fight. And really, it's not a fair fight. Because the legions, as many demons as there may be in this man, they are absolutely terrified of Jesus. They fall down and they cry out. They are terrified that Jesus will judge them. 
that he will send them into the abyss, right? This place uh, reserved for punishment, for evil forces. And so what do they do? They fight back, right? Nope. They ask his permission. Did you catch that? They, uh, the demons are literally begging Jesus. Please, please. Please don't cast us out. Please don't cast us into the abyss. Please, please just let us go into those pigs. These evil supernatural forces that have dominated this man and are terrifying the surrounding countryside are no match for Jesus. Jesus doesn't even have to do anything. All he does is say a word. And that brings us to an important point, and I want you to hear this. Christians believe two things. Well, they believe lots of things, but two in particular right here. One, supernatural evil is real. And and maybe you're at a place this morning where that, that statement makes you uncomfortable. I mean, here we are in the modern West. Surely, if anything, and we started, uh, this, this move started in the Enlightenment and has progressed by a series of stages since then. Uh, but really, uh, we believe that, that human progress, A, human progress is inevitable, and that that means that things like technology and modern medicine have, have done away for this need of, of superstitious beliefs and religions and gods and demons. That's all a little bit old school. That's all a little bit out of fashion. And yet, it's interesting that with all of our modern technology... With all of our great advances, and there have been many, listen, the human progress has been incredible since the Enlightenment. And yet, the 20th century, right? There were, there were some philosophers who even, who even said that because of our advancements, because of human progress, we would finally reach a stage, this was the, the, the modern mindset, It's actually passed out of favor now, but the modern mindset was uh, we would actually reach a place where when everybody was enlightened, when everyone was educated, we would do away with evils like poverty. We would do away with things like war. And the 20th century was the bloodiest century of human history. If you only count two world wars, that's 60 million people gone right there. In the modern era, we have killed more people than e- any of our ancestors even dreamed of. So clearly, human progress is not enough to banish evil. Clearly, our need, and we could talk more at length about this, but clearly our need is more than simple education, more than technology, more than progress. There's a deeper disease. There's a deeper problem. And so we do believe that there is a supernatural evil. It is real. There is a devil. And there are demons that work for him. And that this evil can influence and ensnare and even possess people. Can influence systems. Can even influence whole governments. This is the view of the Bible. This is Jesus' view. It's opposed to the modern view. 
But I believe the modern view is found lacking, that maybe there is some ring of truth in those old myths about religions and gods. So we believe that supernatural evil is real, but we also believe that good and evil are not evenly matched. We do not believe in a yin and a yang. There is no one coming to bring balance to the force, right? Um, this is not a fair fight. Evil is real, and even though evil may seem to have the upper hand, God is in complete control. Now, I realize that raises its own questions, questions that are deep and hard, and we can talk about those things. But I want you to notice that you see this legion of demons who've mastered everything else around them. They have to beg Jesus' permission to do anything. God is in complete control, even over evil. There's not even a question. Jesus doesn't have to say a magic spell. He doesn't have to wave a wand. He doesn't have to draw a sword. He simply speaks. Jesus is more powerful than the evil around us. He's more powerful than the evil within us. But his power is not the only thing on display. Jesus also shows us his compassion. Look at the, uh, the effect that the demons have had on this man. He's isolated. He does not live in town. He does not live with his family. He does not live near his friends. He is alone. He lives among the tombs, an unclean place. He is a social outcast, a danger to those around him and a danger to himself. He roams around naked, deranged, shouting, breaking chains. This is not what we would call normal, healthy behavior. This man's life has been absolutely ruined. And that makes an important point. Evil is always destructive. You see it in the man, and you see it when the evil is removed from the man and goes into the pigs. Right? We get caught up in the, well, why did he allow the pigs to die? What's up with that? That surely costs the, the herdsmen a lot of money. And we'll get to that in a second. But I want you to notice that when... When evil is present, it is destructive. It destroys. It does not give life. Right? Sin may have its allure. It may seem enticing, but it always leads to death. And so, we also see Jesus' compassion. Right? He is not afraid of this man. As this guy comes running down the hill, shouting at Jesus... Jesus is not afraid. He's not afraid of this man. He's not afraid of the demons. Evil does not scare Jesus. In fact, he has come to deal with it. That is why he has come. He sends the demons out of the man into the pigs. And ironically, even though the legion wanted to avoid the abyss, they end up driving themselves right into it. They plunge, right, they plunge their host into the sea as the, as the pigs are driven mad. Why? Why pigs? Why does uh, Jesus allow this to happen? And it's one of those frustrating things about the Bible. It's not always interested in answering all of your questions. Right? Luke's main interest is not, why in the world would Jesus ruin a whole herd of pigs? Rather, we should probably come away saying, people are more important than pigs. 
We should rejoice at the fact that a man has been set free from demonic oppression at whatever the cost. People matter more than pigs. They certainly matter more to Jesus. Rescuing a person from evil is more important than the loss of swine. And as I said, evil is always destructive, whether whether it's killing the pigs or it's destroying this man's relationships and his dignity. We are not more human when we sin. We are less. And so when the townspeople come to investigate the reports, right, the, the herds the herdsmen They're probably not the owners of the pigs, so you better believe that they're going to tell the story of what happened so that they're not having to pay for the pigs, right? Uh, so the herdsmen watch this. They're totally freaked out by it. They, they run and they, all over the countryside and in the town, they say, hey, here's what happened. And so the people come out to meet, uh, to see, to, to verify the report. Look at verse 35. Then the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus And found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I want you to notice the, the complete reversal. This man was naked. Now he is clothed. He's not shouting or deranged, but he's in his right mind. He's calm. And he's not running wild, but he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? The position of the disciple, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his word, allowing Jesus to change him from the inside out. A complete reversal of fortune. Jesus' compassion. So not only is Jesus powerful, not only is he more powerful than evil, but he has also come to deal with evil. He has also come to put evil away. He has come to destroy it. Which leads us to our last point. That in showing His power and showing His compassion, Jesus reveals our mission. Did you catch there what happened at the end? Isn't it, isn't it interesting that the people, they see this man, they see, they see their neighbor fully restored. He's in his right mind. Everything is good. And what's their response? They're totally terrified. They want Jesus to leave. They, whether that's just from superstition or what, they are afraid of what Jesus has done. They see a man that they could not tame. Jesus has changed them and they want to run, they, they want him out. They want whatever hocus pocus this is to go back across the lake to the land of the Jews and be gone. So in one sense, The people of that region have the same response to Jesus that the demons did. Get out of here. But notice what the man says. This man that Jesus has rescued. He, be he begs him, right? So in the same way that the demons beg Jesus for permission, now this man is begging Jesus not to leave, but he says, can I please stay with you? I want to go with you. Let me get in the boat and sail back with you. And what does Jesus say? Nope. I need you to stay here. So, Jesus is honoring the request of the townspeople. He's leaving. But He is not leaving these people without a witness. 
He is not leaving these people without someone there who can tell them what Jesus has done. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus tells the man to do. Maybe initially it sounds cold for Jesus to say no. But whenever Jesus says no, he says it for a good reason. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare. Declare. That word declare means give them all the details. You tell them everything. Declare how much God has done for you. And what does he do? He goes away proclaiming. That's our word, by the way. That's the word we also use for preaching. So see, preachers aren't the only preachers. This man's not an apostle. This man hasn't been ordained to a ministry or anything like that. His job is to go and tell people what Jesus has done, which is exactly what he says. And I would just point out, Jesus says, go and tell them what God has done for you. And in the next verse, it's described as he goes and tells them what Jesus has done for him. Paralleling God and Jesus there. So, Jesus honors the request of the people that he leave, but he does not leave himself without a witness. It's interesting that in a few minutes, uh, a friend of mine, Michael, is going to come up here and uh, he spoke in Sunday school and he's going to share with uh, with you a little bit about uh, the ministry that he and his wife are going to be doing in Auburn, where they where they get to share the gospel with international students who are coming from other nations to hear. And they're coming from from places where in some cases it is illegal to talk about Jesus. It is illegal to convert from Islam to Christianity. And if we were to go and do that in some of the countries in the world today, we would, we would be barred from doing that. That would be against the law. And yet students from those nations are coming here. They are coming here to be educated in our universities. The nations are coming to our doorstep. And so the Alsops have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with international students and then send them back to their homes, just like this man. Just like this man, to go home and to declare all that God has done for them. This is our mission. This is, this is what we are. This is who we are as a church. This is what we are to be about, proclaiming all that Jesus has done for us. See, the story is not just about casting out demons, but it's about declaring good news, which, by the way, is a supernatural task. When you tell someone about Jesus, that mission is a supernatural mission. Gospel ministry is nothing less than the defeat of supernatural evil so that men and women and boys and girls can be liberated from the darkness and brought into God's kingdom. It's exactly what Paul says in Colossians 1. Chad read it for us uh, earlier. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what happens. Whenever someone believes on the Lord Jesus, that's what happens. They are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son. 
That is a supernatural work. It is not a natural work. It is not a normal thing. You can observe it. You can observe the effects of it. But it is work, but it is a work done in the supernatural realm. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's why we do what we do. We proclaim... Maybe you think, well, I don't know. I've never been possessed by demons. This isn't really my story. I mean, what has God done for me? He's done that. He's brought you out of darkness into light. Maybe, maybe you have a testimony like this man, a story like this man, where you have been captured by forces that are true, too strong for you. Uh, you've wasted years uh, caught in sin and death. And you've seen Jesus liberate you from that. But even if your story is not that, even if you've grown up in the church and you've never really done anything all that bad, the Bible tells us that you've still been captured in the kingdom of darkness, doing your own will, doing the will of evil forces rather than the will of God. So to believe in Jesus, whether you're the worst sinner you could possibly imagine or meh, not that bad, Hey, you're the only one who thinks you're not that bad, right? Um, it's still a transfer, right? You're still, you're still being moved out of darkness into light. That is, the, that is the mission of the church. It's what Jesus does for this man. And then he sends this man to go tell his neighbors all about it. Let me close with this. Where are Jesus' power and compassion most clearly on display in this passage? When the evil is removed from the man and sent into the pigs. But what do we learn from that? As Daryl Bach says, the removal of evil is always costly. The removal of evil is always costly. Where is Jesus' power and compassion displayed most clearly in the Bible and in human history? the cross of Calvary, where the removal of evil is incredibly costly. When Jesus goes to remove evil from us, he does so at the cost of his own life. He plunges himself into death so we may be drawn out to life. That is the message of redemption and hope. That is the message that we must share. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for the hopeful and powerful story of this, this brother whose life had been ruined and ensnared by toxic evil and yet rescued by you. His story is our story. Maybe not as dramatic, maybe not as shocking, but his story is our story. So Lord, help us to trust in you to believe in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before, we, uh, before we take up the offering, one of the things that, uh, one of the responses we have to God's Word, when, the ways that we respond to His grace, not only is giving financially, but we also uh, give our lives in service to the kingdom. So I'm going to invite uh, Michael up. Um, Michael is a friend of mine. He 
was a pastor at First Perez in Troy for a number of years and is moving into a new ministry now. Uh, and our church, your gifts, are actually supporting the Allsops in this ministry. So I wanted Michael to come and share with you guys what they were going to be doing. Thank you so much. Uh, 